Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, if you're just joining us, we're in a series that has been going on for a number of uh, months. We're in part three. We're called Moses Unscripted, and we've been looking at the life of Moses and seeing ourselves in his story. And what we've been finding is that Moses, although he's this big character in the Bible, the one that we would think, hey, he's got all the answers. He knows how to do it right. We have found ourselves uh, aligning with Moses and the Israelites. And this morning, we're going to get to a, a piece where we see the Israelites struggling with something from their past. Now, a lot of us can relate to that. Has, has anyone ever tried to take up running or exercise and failed? This, this is confession time this morning. This isn't a, yeah, that's right. You've tried and you failed miserably, right? I, I do triathlons and you look at me and you say, running must just be easy for you. You just love running and you just love keep going and going and going. You know, in my, in my 20s, I drank a liter of Dr. Pepper a day and I had pogos by the box and I played a lot of video games. So, so no running did not come very naturally for me. I had to sweat out a lot of that grease from the pogos and all of that, all, all of that, all that sugar. But what, what we've found, and I've, uh, as I've gone back and doing some, done some study in psychology o- over the years, I've learned a lot about neural pathways. And what we, a neural pathway is any, any message that gets sent to, to the brain over and over and over. The more times you do it, the more strong that pathway becomes. And one of the analogies we like to use is it's like a trench. So if you think something one time and then you respond in that way, it digs like one shovel full. And then that's, it's easier to go next time. And the more and more you do it, the more easier it becomes to do it time and time again. In fact, that's why, have you ever heard people say it takes 30 days to make a habit stick? Have you, have you ever heard that? Psychologically speaking, it's because you have to repeat that process time and time again before it actually becomes real and true for you. And if you've ever thought you really hate exercising, it could be that you're just actually more used to non-activity than you are used to activity because your body actually loves exercising. When you exercise, you release endorphins and your body starts to feed on those. That's, that's like a happy thing for you. It actually helps everything work better. It helps you metabolize things better. You sleep better. You work better. You think better when you're in motion. But who feels horrible when they've been in motion for more than 20 minutes, right? You, you feel terrible because your body is used to not being in motion and it takes at least a month, potentially months, because it could be months and months, even years and years that your body has not been in motion. And you have dug such a trench that that couch looks so wonderful that every time you go, I could exercise or I could sit on that couch. And it's so much easier to go back to what you've done before. It takes years actually to change what uh, a way that we've been consistently thinking. And each time you go running, you're only one shovel full down that trail, or each time you go biking, or each time you go walking, and it's easy to revert back, and it feels like work, and the other one feels natural. Another way to visualize this is a path in the wilderness, and we have this picture, and we're going to go back to this picture a couple of times over the course of the morning, but let's pretend there's something wonderful at the other side of this, of this forest. How are you going to get to the other side of that forest? Is anyone going here? 
through the bugs and the weeds and the tree. Is anyone going that way? If you are, you're not a very bright person. You're going to go, you're going to, you're going to go this way, right? There's something amazing at the other side and there's already a pathway. There's been people that have gone down there millions of times. Why would you walk through here where you're going to get scratched and who knows, there might be like bats or raccoons or who knows in there. You're going to go this way. Now imagine your brain doing this. There's something good at the other side and there's been a trail that you've gone down a million times before. Which way are you going to go? Are you going to go this way or are you going to go right through the place where you know it's going to be painful and it's going to be difficult? And it's gonna... This is how our brain works. That we, we think all the time we just go back exactly where we've gone before. And each time we take a step into what is different, it's slow and it's painful and it's hard. But once you do it, You've already carved out a little bit of that pathway. You've taken one shovelful. And you go over and over. You can create different habits. You can think differently. You can act differently. But it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of shovelfuls. And if you introduce any kind of trauma into the picture from a psychological perspective, it even makes it more difficult. If you take a step through the difficult place and then there's a trauma that you experience, well, you're never going down that pathway again or you're... Um, th- what, we, what, what we actually find is that there's, there's a few different regions of the brain, and one of the regions called the hippocampus, and it's responsible for a number of memory functions. And if you have a trauma that is introduced, then your, your hippocampus actually shrinks a little bit, and you have, uh, you have difficulty distinguishing a past memory from a, future, from a present experience. So I want you to think about this. If you have a trauma, the part that distinguishes memory and present blurs a little bit. So now you're all of a sudden you're starting to see, well, I, I can't go down that new pathway because I, I'm going to be hurt. Well, no, you were hurt a number of years ago, but you start to f- experience it as a future feeling as opposed to a past experience. So you have reduced ability in the part that, that as memory and present, and you have increased ability in the amygdala and your frontal cortex, which is the thing, if you ever heard of fight or flight, it's, that, it's the emotional response. And as we're in this series with Moses, that's a whole lot of psychology as an introduction, but we're in this series with Moses, and we've just gone through 40 years of Moses, or Moses has been in the wilderness 40 years. He comes to the Israelites who have been in slavery for generations. So I want you to think about that. They were born as slaves, beaten, hated, abused. They were exposed to all different kinds of probably sicknesses. They were undernourished. They were exposed to all different kinds of... They had trauma from birth to now as they are adults. And then Moses comes into the picture and he goes, guys, there's this God that is going to take you out of Egypt and can heal you and can provide for you. And he does 10 miracles in Egypt. He parts the Red Sea. He's talking to them. He's, he's leading them to this brand new path, like on the other side of the forest. And they're thinking, I'm not so sure I can go through this forest because they would have had all the, just because we've just learned about it now doesn't mean they weren't experiencing the same thing 6,000 years ago. And it's easy to target these group of Israelites as a silly, ungrateful people for not recognizing there's a God that's doing miracles in your midst and you're having difficulty trusting him. If I saw God do that, I would trust him for sure, we, would, we could potentially say. But let's put on the lens this morning of a traumatized people that have been down this pathway millions of times before thinking, I can't go a different way. I can't trust something different. I can't go to what's uncomfortable because I've gone this other way before. And they're trying to follow God going through this struggle. And we pick up the story at the base of Mount Sinai. 
There's two million people, as we've been learning, and Moses has just gone up onto the mountain, Mount Sinai. Now, now, if you read in Exodus, there's thunder and lightning going all around the mountain, and Moses has been up there. In fact, Moses has been up there for more than a month. And if you saw a person go up on a mountain and then clouds came over the mountain and there's thunder and lightning and booming and noises, what are you imagining might be happening to this person who's up on the mountain? Not wonderful things, right? Like, he may not come out of this okay. And the people begin to worry whether Moses was coming back or not. And they wonder, quite naturally, is this a God that protects us or is this a God that hurts us? Because we were in Egypt and there were all these gods and we were being hurt. And down the pathway they go of not sure who to trust. The traumatized people, unsure of who God is, definitely with a skewed self-image through all the experiences they would have had from birth until now. And they've waited 40 days for Moses to come back down this mountain. And we're going to see some of the things that we can learn through the scriptures this morning about what happens when we start going down the same kind of pathways, the same kind of mistakes that we've been before. So if you're taking notes, you can do so in your bulletin. You can do so on your app. If you don't have the Portico app, download it. Got all kinds of great things on there and it's got your notes every week. But the first one is this, is that impatience can lead to disobedience. So they, they had waited 40 days. Question for you, how long are you willing to wait to get what you deserve. If you, if you feel like you deserve something, how many days over will you wait for the same thing until you feel like you get what you deserve? If it's 3 a.m. and you're at a red light, how long are you willing to wait at that red light? <laughs> There's nobody around. <laughs> you're looking, you're like, you've got, that red light has what, five seconds before you think like, I'm going through. I don't need to wait anymore to do the right thing. If there's fresh brownies in the oven and they're made for company and that company is not coming for two hours and you, they come out of the oven and you smell those brownies and you think, if I take them out of the pan and cut them up, nobody knows if one is missing, right? <laughs> if I leave them in the pan, they'll know there's a square missing. But if I cut them, I'm not waiting two hours. Those brownies need to be tasted and we need to make sure they're safe and they're warm. I should, Bob, Bob hears me, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sometimes we do that at Food for Life, don't we? We need to make sure that the food is safe over there. <laughs> if you've never come to Food for Life, you need to come one Tuesday. But Impatience leads to disobedience. We go through the red light. We eat the brownies when we're not supposed to. Now put it into something much more important, a little larger scale. Moses had been gone over a month, which is a long time to wait for an answer for God. You've been praying for healing. You've been praying for just to feel God, to hear God. They're watching this thunder and lightning, and they're hearing things happening on the mountain. We'll get to that in a minute. But, but how long is too long when you are praying for something? to continue to wait patiently for God to answer. Exodus 32 and 1 says this, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. They go down that pathway. Come make us gods like we knew in Egypt. As for this fellow Moses, I love, they call Moses this fellow. Yeah, he's the one that did all the miracles, gave you water, gave you, yeah. This fellow, <laughs> we don't know what has happened to them. Now the ironic thing is, this is the very moment that with the thunder and the lightning and the noises that God was writing in the Ten Commandments into the stone with lightning. This is, this is what's happening at the time. And they're about to break one of the commandments that he's giving to the people at the time. But God is in the business of dropping a dream or a desire into the hearts of people. And then he allows a lifetime for those things to form or those things 
to happen. He promised the people they were going to go to this promised land. This started way back with Abraham. And now it's traveling all along. Generations are passing and they still haven't seen this promised land. They've waited literally generations for a promise to come. If you go back to another story in the Bible, Joseph, Joseph had a dream as a child about how he was going to be a ruler and his journey took him through slavery, took him through family betrayal, took him to jail, finally to the palace. He had to wait all these years for the dream that God had promised him that he deserved. We live in an instant gratification society, right? <laughs> the rules of TV were too rigid, so we created Netflix because we didn't want to have to wait for Wednesday at 8 o'clock to watch anything. I want to watch what I want to watch, when I want to watch it, as many of the episodes that I want to watch it. So we started, we started Netflix because we couldn't wait one week and we couldn't schedule our lives around that. We used to buy albums. Anybody remember albums? They were a circle thing and they, they turned around. And, or did, who had eight tracks? Come on, come, yeah. See, I missed eight tracks. I, I was born in 79. They, they, we had tapes when we had, we had that time. We had, we had wonderful, and if you, you, could, you, like, you could fast forward. It, actually, eight tracks were easier than tapes, weren't they? Because you could just pick the track. We had the fa- so I missed out on the good stuff. Or, or I mean, with, the, with the record, you could move ahead. But you had to buy the whole thing, right? Yeah, and, but, and how many of those songs on that album did you actually like? 50%? One. <laughs> you, you wanted one song off the album, so you had to buy the whole album. So what did we do? iTunes. Let's just buy, let's just buy tracks. We want instant gratification. We want personalization. Even in church, at our, at our church, we've created three services and one online, and you can download it later. So if you don't want to get up at a certain time, you don't want to drive here, you can still do church online. Many of us are so much more comfortable when we have control over how things are going and the time which it's taking for it to get there. And we are not comfortable in trusting in a God that we're not even sure has something beneficial for us. And impatience like that leads to disobedience. Because what you and I can produce is pretty good. It might not be perfect, but it's okay. But it actually leads us into the area of disobedience, which is our second fill in the blank as well, is that that's almost an arrogance. And arrogance can produce a counterfeit experience. I may not, I don't want to wait for God to do it. So I'm going to make it happen in the way that I want it to happen. It's not quite as good as how he would do it, but it's good enough for me because it's now, (laughs) because it's customized. And when we step in and fix a problem or an issue that God had designs of doing for us, we create this poor replica. Now look very practically how this happened with the Israelites in Exodus 32 and 4. Aaron, this is he, took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Now, how could, they, how could they start believing that? They knew that it was Moses and the God that he was praying to that brought them up out of, out of Egypt. Let's remember, put on the lens of the trauma. A person that has thought and acted the same way for years and years and years does not immediately change, does not ease. Even when God steps in and does a miracle, it is difficult work to change. So they go back to uh, whatever's good in the moment. Let's just make sure we get what we need. The Israelites weren't dumb. The Israelites were human. (laughs) And the Israelites were traumatized. Humans default to what they know. Humans default to what they can count on and what can they be sure of. And for a lot of us, that's we count on ourselves. We don't want to trust that in somebody else, that somebody else can do it. We don't want to trust that I should, I should just take somebody else's word. 
We don't want to trust in a God that seem, hasn't answered for 40 days. So what do they do? They make a bull. <laughs> Let's go back and look at what the bull represents in Egypt. And the bull was actually uh, a god that was worshipped in, in Egypt, and his name was Apis. And Apis represented strength and fertility. And so to worship Apis, that meant that you're going to have strength in your family and your family would prosper. Your, your family would be fertile. Now, if you go back into the scriptures, those are two of the core promises that God promised for his people that he would do for them. Exodus 6 and 1, because of my mighty hand, Pharaoh will let you go, is what he said in Exodus 6. I'm going to be your strength. The covenant that began with Abraham that was going to lead him to the promise of the new land. They were in the generation that was going to the new land. And Genesis 22 and 17 said, I will bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. So they had heard these promises from their Lord God. And then they said, no, we're going to worship Apis because he's going to give us strength and he's going to prosper us. They made a God that was a pretty good substitute for the here and now because the other God was taking 40 days to answer. Impatience led to arrogance, which equaled disobedience, and this counterfeit reality. Now that is the story of our lives. If we were to be honest, in so many ways, we have a God that has promised us freedom. We have a God that has promised us life. We have a God that promises us prosperity if we could learn to trust that just live and honor me and live the way that I ask is best for you. And what God often asks us is difficult. God asks us to be humble. God asks us to be patient. God asks us to be generous. And these are not qualities that we would say would get us very far. We would be dominant. <laughs> we, would be, uh, we would invest in ourselves. We would invest in our business. That's what, God, that's what we would think would get us ahead. And God says, just listen, just trust me. It might feel wrong in the moment but live the way that I've asked you to live. And we go back to that, we go back to that image. I want, I want you to think. When life gets difficult, when you're faced with challenge, when you're faced with something ahead of you, what's the pathway that you go down? What do you default to? What is, what is your default operating procedure? Is it, I just push everybody out of the way and I do it myself? Is it, I go into a ball and I just wait for the problem to go away? Is it, I kind of have a meltdown and I bring everybody, what is your default operating procedure? And now ask yourself, is that what's best? Is that what God is asking of me? Or is that just the way that I've gone down a thousand times before? And there may be a different way that would be painful that doesn't feel natural and normal, but actually leads me to a place that would be better for me. And Moses comes down the mountain and he hears these people throwing this massive worship celebration to Apis. And he runs over to Aaron. He says, Aaron, what on earth has happened? I left you in charge for 40 days. And the people that have just been taken out of Egypt are right back to where they were before. I led a revolt against Pharaoh. I moved an entire sea. And in one month, you've blown it this poorly. It is not easy to keep us, to keep people from going down the same pathway that we've gone. Here's what Proverbs 26 and 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their... Now that's strong language, isn't it? 
but we repeat our fault. That's to us this morning. What are the mistakes we make over and over and over? It's just like a dog going back to the same thing that made him sick and caused it to come up. That's what Solomon wrote to us. And here are these people going over making the same mistake, not trusting God. Here's Aaron's response. I love this. Exodus 32 and 24. They gave me gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> I don't know what happened. I threw in earrings and out comes Apis. Isn't that crazy, Moses? No, that's the dumbest excuse I've ever heard. That's like, that's like the kid that, kid that runs up to you, cookies all over his face. I didn't have anything before dinner. <laughs> a, I didn't ask you if you had anything before dinner. B, there are cookies all over your face. So the, obviously you had something before dinner. We had an experience here one time during our kids' ministry. On a Wednesday night, there was, there was, there was a fire alarm. No, there was a, the handicap alarm was going and in, the, in, the, um, in the handicap washroom. And it's this loud, piercing sound, and we have no idea where it's coming from, and we, we didn't even know what it was, and we could you, Mike was away in Florida, I think, at the time, and we're on the phone with the board trying to figure out what is going on, and a, a little girl walks up and said, I didn't push a button in the washroom. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> in we went to the washroom, and we found out how to shut that sucker off. <laughs> They gave me gold and I threw it into the fire and out comes this calf. When sin is confronted, and here's your third fill in the blank, when sin is confronted, it results in confession or cover-up. You own it. <laughs> Say, I made a mistake. I blew it. I'm human. I have a bad thought pattern. I have a bad habit that I go through over and over or we deny it. And the funniest thing is that the word tells us that God knows our thoughts even before we think them. <laughs> so it's just like the five-year-old coming up, I didn't push the button. <laughs> it's just like Aaron going, I don't know how that happened. A, a God came out of the fire. God knows how we ended up, where we ended up. So he definitely knows our lies before we share them with the world. And some of us are able to manage an entire section of life that nobody knows about. And when we, when we are confronted, we're able to present a logical argument as to why we live this way. This is just me. This is, here are the logical reasons why I'm this way. God, God created me this way, so it can't be wrong. It's just me. Some of us would say, I've been hurt too many times, so I can't, I can't help myself. And this story takes a very sharp turn, if you know this story. <laughs> because there is a, an extreme duality in how God deals with sin. When we confess our sin, the Bible tells us he completely forgets it and we move on. He remembers the sin no more. It's taken as far as the east is from the west. And in some ways, this doesn't seem fair. That until you understand the nature of God's all-consuming, unmerited grace, a, a lifelong good person who, who has messed up once and a habitual rule breaker God is on the same level with them. So a person who's lived the perfect life and messed up once is over here, and somebody that just messes up every day and just chooses the wrong thing, when they both come and confess and say, Lord, I made a mistake, they're on equal playing field with God. They both move forward clean and forgiven, and he doesn't hold it against them. That's God's extreme grace. The moment we say, I'm a sinner and I need his forgiveness. And at the same time, <laughs> here's the duality. God is a harsh God that gives consequences 
to those who decide that their sin is not sin and their sin is more just their right to live the way they want to. Proverbs 28 and 13 says, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them, their sin, finds mercy. Let's look at the extreme side of God in this. Moses calls out the people and he says, who's ever with me, come with me. And of those who come with him, he tells them that God is about to enact a harsh consequence on the people who have decided to remain worshiping Apis. Now look at this in verse 27 and 28. Now I'm not suggesting, this is an Old Testament story. If this were to happen today, people would be jailed. This is called terrorism. Each of you take your sword and go back and forth from one end of the camp to each other. Kill everyone, your brothers, your friends, and your neighbors. And the Levites obeyed Moses' command and about 3,000 people died that day. This is an Old Testament story. We don't kill people over religious differences and over lifestyle differences. Jesus ushered in this, this era of grace that extended. The consequences of sin are no longer felt until he returns. We're in an era of grace. It means we are f- free to, uh, to choose our way, our personal way or God's way without much consequence until the time that Jesus comes back and then we face the final judgment for our lives. But we should not make a mistake in thinking that God is just graceful and God is just forgiving. God is both. God is so unbelievably graceful and has mercy and forgives us at the the moment we say, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. He forgives us and we move on no more. And he doesn't remember it. We We just move on. And yet at the same time, God deals harshly with unrepented sin and he enacts consequence on that sin which brings us to our final point this morning is that humility can produce repentance and restoration when we recognize we're in error when we recognize we're going down a pathway that we've gone before that's not a pathway that's god honoring the moment that we can humble ourselves and say lord i am sorry and we ask for forgiveness he, he, he does just that. None of us has gone too far that it takes anything more than one step back to him. These people were so bad, they were breaking the commandments as they were being given to him, <laughs> to them. And Moses intercedes and they're given a fresh start. They begin again. Look at verse 31 and 32. Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. God forgives them and they move on. And in fact, there's a festival that commemorates this experience. This law that was, the law was given to them and the festival is called Shavuot. And it occurred 50 days after the Jews went past the Red Sea. And the Greeks gave it a word that we would more uh, readily recognize it as, and it's called Pentecost. We're a Pentecostal church. We, we, uh, we celebrate that heritage, and it comes right from this experience, the law that was given to them and the forgiveness that they experience. Now, here's a really interesting thing. What the rabbis teach is that at the first Shabbat, as Moses is up on the mountain, the first Pentecost, as God is writing the law into the stone tablets, there were flames that came down off the mountain and the people heard the laws as they were being written into the tablets. So if you, if you go to a Jewish religious school, they will tell you that not only was the, the law written into the tablets, but the people heard it as a voice. 
Now the scriptures, uh, the Bible tells us, Exodus 20 and 18, the people heard thunder and lightning and sounds coming from the mountain. And what the oral tradition of the Jewish rabbis would say is that they actually heard the 10 laws being spoken out to them in their own languages. Because the people that left Egypt were not just Hebrew people. There would have been Africans that were working as slaves. There would have been Middle Eastern people that were working as slaves. And they, anyone that painted the blood over their door and went with the Jews was now creating this new nation that was going to be Israel. So people heard the Ten Commandments, the law being give to them, given to them in their own voice, in their own language. Now fast forward 1,200 years. Jesus has just come, died, gone back to heaven. The disciples, Acts 2, verses 1 to 6, they're celebrating Shabbat. They're celebrating Pentecost. Now listen to this. I want to read this for you. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. Camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Clouds and a windstorm going around. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, the fire. And everyone was present, was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Now these people had just killed Jesus in this day. (laughs) That's sin. (laughs) The Jews had just broken a commandment that God had thundered down onto stone tablets. And in both cases, God wanted them to know that there was forgiveness readily available for them. And even as we sit here today, God wants us to know that there is no path that we have gone down. There is no habit of thinking. There is no habit in our lifestyle that we've gone over and over and over that God says, I can can offer forgiveness in one step. And we want to take some time and walk you through that this morning. And uh, Heather and Mike are going to come back. And we are going to uh, receive communion. I'm going to invite our ushers to hand out communion. And for us, communion is a thing that we know we have some guests in the room. Anyone can participate. All we consider is this. Do you believe the same thing that we believe? Do you believe that Jesus was God's son, that he died, that he came back to life, and salvation comes through that belief? And if you believe that, please Uh, join us in communion. And if you don't believe, we would never ask anyone to participate in something if they don't believe it. And there'll be many that, that would choose not to, and that's completely fine. So either way, we don't want anyone to feel forced or pushed into something that has no meaning for you. But you finish this Pentecost story in Acts chapter two, and Peter shares this message of forgiveness and hope. He comes, he says, even though you killed Jesus, even though you crucified him, he came back to life and he's offering forgiveness for everyone. And the people who were standing there, they were Jewish people and they would have recognized the parallel. They would have recognized, oh my gosh, this happened with Moses at the mountain. There was the fire, there was the different languages. There was this law that was being presented to us. And they were were familiar that this was the pathway to a new relationship with God but they were going to have to challenge what they thought and felt. Because for all of their life, the way to God was through the temple. The way to God was through the customs. And then Jesus came and said, no, it's not, it's not that way. Just because you think that way doesn't mean it's necessarily right. Can I challenge you to think that the way to God is through me? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the lamb. So what do they do? In humility, they say, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. 
I believe he was God's son. I believe he is the payment for the shortcoming in my life and he's a pathway to God. You want to know something amazing? You know how many people gave their life to Christ, gained new life that day? If you go back to how many people died when they ran through the camp and killed? 3,000. Acts 2.41. You know how many people came to Christ on that Pentecost? 3,000 people. God doesn't leave stuff up to chance. If you're looking for a sign from God, it is painfully clear, but it does require a choice. I believe there are people here today, and one more time, I want to go back to the image of the trees. You've been going down a pathway in your life, in your thought life, in the way that you've been living, and you've been going one way over and over and over again, and it doesn't feel fulfilling. It actually feels pretty defeating. And you think, how can I kick this? How can I live differently? I don't want to be the same person It takes hard work. It takes challenging what you believe to be normal and right and says, I'm going to take one step today and it's not going to feel comfortable and it's not going to feel easy, but I believe it's the right way to go. And then it's going to require doing it tomorrow and then it's going to require doing it for a month and then a year. And we can understand that from a psychological, habitual side. We can understand it from a spiritual side. And our prayer this morning is that as we get to this moment, that the Holy Spirit would challenge you wherever you may be. Some people may be considering, can I trust who Jesus is? It may not feel normal and comfortable and natural, but our prayer this morning is that you would take that step and believe that the God who wrote, believe God is who he says he is and Jesus was who he said he was and as a, wants to have relationship with you. For some of us, it may be, I'm so caught in a habit and a lifestyle and I don't know how to break it. It's believing that God offers forgiveness and every step you take will feel difficult. Every step may be uncomfortable, but we can go through this. On the spiritual side, it's dealt with in a moment. (laughs) On the thought and the addiction side, it's not kicked in a communion moment. (laughs) Your sin is dealt with. But even for our faith, it's living day by day with a series of faith-filled steps, forging through the forest in a new way. The communion that we're about to receive is a reminder that we have hope in the one who created us. And it's a reminder that we're not left to battle alone. We do this together. So I want to pray for you, and then we're going to receive communion together. Lord, I thank you for each individual that's here today. We believe that you have a plan for each one of us. We believe that we're not here by chance, but you've chosen us to be here to participate in this service today. And Lord, I ask that whatever struggle we've been envisioning over the course of this morning, in the name of Jesus, we feel free and we feel forgiveness from that. We feel that you're going to journey with us. We feel that even though it might not feel natural and normal, we're going to take that step. And just like those believers who receive the first time when you instituted this practice during the, during the Passover supper and, and they understood that this was going to be your body that was broken for them. This was going to be your blood that was shed for them and it was the pathway to freedom. Lord, I ask that we would receive that with the same knowledge and it would be an encouragement to us. It's just bread and juice in a cup but it's a symbol that we don't fight this battle alone. That your spirit is with us so, Lord, we ask that this morning, as we, as we take this, Lord, that we would be encouraged in our hearts that you're journeying along 
with us. So this morning, let's take the bread together, the body of Christ that's broken for us. And then we'll drink the juice that represents Christ's blood that was shed for us. And as a response this morning, we're going to sing a song, an old song that um, many of us would know. And I just ask that you would stand, stand with us and this would be our response in faith that Christ's sacrifice is enough for us. Why don't you lead us, Heather? What a powerful song and what amazing lyrics those are that the hope that we have is that even a person like me can walk out of here free. I don't have to worry about the sin that was in my life before. I recognize that it's a journey ahead of me. <laughs> I recognize that it's a choice like this every day. But I recognize I don't have to worry about the guilt from there. And I want to pray over us as a church that we would commit to living this way. We would commit to having this same feeling every day, the feeling of, thank you, Lord. I don't have to worry about what happened yesterday. Jesus, you paid the price for me. And today may be hard, but that's okay because your spirit goes with me. I don't have a chain that's holding me back. I'm going to move forward. And we say this at the end of every service, but if there's anything you heard today that you want to follow up with, with a conversation, with a prayer time, please let us know. We would love to, this is why we're here. It's the journey, journey together on this. And we recognize when we get to a morning like this, it stirs up some feelings. It stirs up some thoughts. We would love to connect you to a small group. You could journey with us together with another group of, of people in town or we just love to meet one-on-one -on -one and kind of connect you to the right resources or, or talk you through and pray with you together with some of the things that got stirred up this morning. So please don't leave this as a Sunday morning experience, but what, what, however you need to live this out and take this out, please take those steps. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you this, for what an amazing morning it's been together, celebrating two new lives that at one point didn't feel like they even had hope to live. And Lord, that is proof that you, that you are there, that you are the life giver, that you are the sustainer. We thank you, Lord, for the DeMello family. We thank you that we, could, we can celebrate that you forgive each one of us regardless of where we are, Lord, and that we move on in freedom and we move on in confidence that you're journeying with us, Lord. God, I thank you for, for this church, this group of people that commits together to, to figuring out how to honor you in our lives, in our families, families, in our jobs, in our communities, Lord. We thank you that um, we sense your spirit challenging us, but we sense your spirit close to us and guiding us, Lord. God, what a privilege it is to be together and meet together like this. And we ask that you would uh, now go with us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.